Hello, welcome to the Palladium Podcast. I'm your host, Wolf Tyvey, Editor-in-Chief of Palladium. Today, I'm joined by Mike Solana from Founders Fund. He's trying to uh, save San Francisco, or at least figure <laughs> out how it might happen. Yeah, I'm trying my best, day by day, step by step. Right. So basically, a lot of people have become frustrated with uh, local politics in San Francisco. There's a lot of reasons to be frustrated. The place really looks like it's going down the drain on housing policy, on law and order, uh, you know, management of a, of a competent budget, various things like that. San Francisco is a really important city, but a lot of people are now leaving because it's not being governed well. And so you've decided basically you're not going to leave and you're going to stand and, and try to figure out how it can be fixed. Is that right? There's an election in 2022. Um, and I think it's like things are so bad right now. The board of supervisors, which runs the government, there are 11, there are 11 supervisors. You know, it's completely unhinged. And there are five seats up in 2022. So my, my question is like, is it possible to run sane candidates in the city of San Francisco? And, uh, and if it is, if we can elect some, then it's, then it's a great sign. It's like there's a, there's a chance. Um, and if we can't, you know, given money and effort, if that's impossible, then who knows? Yeah, so it goes. So it goes, right? Sometimes it can't be done. But yeah, it would be, it would be awesome if it could be done. I mean, San Francisco is one of the most important cities in America. It's been home to the tech industry, which is one of the few industries that was actually quite dynamic. And and there's a reason that, that these industries concentrate in one place that's actually extremely valuable. And if you sort of break that up and scatter it all over the country, that, that's, a, that's a huge loss. Governance of San Francisco is actually a very important issue for America overall. So it's definitely worth putting some real attention towards trying to fix it. Until now, there's kind of been, you know, this attitude among tech people that they're above politics or, or politics is too difficult or they don't know how or, you know, you can just avoid politics or whatever. Like there, there's people are always trying to escape that reality. And if you continue like that forever, well, eventually, you know, you, you end up where we are. So you're kind of trying to change that. You're trying to get people interested in this thing uh, and, and find tractable ways to elect some sane candidates uh, and hopefully have some better governance. Yes. I, I mean, I think at the very, at the ground floor, before even trying to get people in the technology industry or just young, sort of smart working professionals in general to, to, to like enter the world of local politics, I just want to raise awareness and like explain to people who is in charge of our city? How does the governance of our city work? When you walk outside and you know there are mentally ill homeless people with no shelter shitting themselves, like who is responsible for that? Why is that okay? Like according to our government, I want to just raise awareness and 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 I think I have this naive hope that provided sufficient awareness is is raised, people will just start voting for the right things. Yeah, we'll see about that. I mean, that's always a hard bet to make, but certainly things can happen. You raise awareness. Some someone gets in, gets interested, and they they really step up to make something happen. So let's talk about how this thing happens. How does this thing work? I mean, you've been looking into this a little bit. How does the governance of San Francisco work? How did it get to the the way it is? Well, let's just let, let's just talk about the structure of the government first. So San Francisco is a city and a county, which means that there's a lot of power in the hands of a few people. Pretty u- unique situation. So our mayor is something called a strong mayor, which is almost it's definitely misleading. She's not that strong because the board of supervisors is where all of the power 
really sits. The mayor could potentially put legislation up for a vote. She could give it to the board of supervisors and the board could vote on it. Uh, if she had sufficient political power, she, she'd be very strong, but she has none. She's completely marginalized. Mayor Breed is considered a moderate. By the rest of the country standards, she'd be you know definitely like a left, a left Democrat. San Francisco, she is a moderate compared to the board, which is extremely far left. As far as we have an actual open Marxist uh, running my district, and then most of them are NIMBY progressives, they call themselves. They don't call themselves NIMBYs. They call themselves progressives. Uh, they're they're anti-progress. They're anti-building. They say they're for affordable housing. It's just a rhetorical tactic. They're not in favor of any new housing. You just look at their legislation. You can see that. So the, so the structure is you have the board. There's 11 supervisors, one supervisor for each district in the city. So each district votes a supervisor in, onto the board. Those people are responsible for passing legislation. They can do pretty much anything they want. Um, it is crazy how much power they have within the bounds of this city slash county, unless the mayor vetoes the legislation. But she really can't do that if they have a veto-proof uh, a veto-proof majority. And now, because of the way the board has you know grown in power, they have this cabal of people on the very far left who easily get to super majorities all the time. So so she's very, very, very almost, I wouldn't say she's powerless, but she has not much power. The board has all the power. And so if you want to change the city, you have to elect people onto the board uh, who are sane and then have a mayor who is in alignment with the board. And then together they can do, you know, almost anything. Yeah. So then what, what this would look like is basically you have to find candidates in the various districts and have have some effort to, to get them in. I wonder how much sort of a common effort between those candidates could work versus how much is that? Uh, do they have to be sort of separate operations by some necessity? Is this the sort of thing where kind of a an upstart political party could actually, or, or something approximating a political party, maybe perhaps a movement within the Democratic Party or whatever, could could uh, could change things? Or is this each each district is, is more independent than that? These are always the questions. It's like, should we start our own political party? Do we run as a Democrat? Is it possible to run as a Republican? It seems impossible to run as a Republican. It seems impossible to vote, to, to run as, as an independent. Everyone in the city thinks they're a Democrat. This is a one party state effectively. It's like communist China. Um, <laughs> right, right. I mean, look, man, when you live in a one party state, you join the party. That's just how it works. Right. Except it's you know not as efficient. So the problem then, if you're going to run as a Democrat, is most people are just voting for whoever the DCCC, the Democratic Committee of, I forget what the acronym stands for, but they decide which Democrats get endorsements from the party for local office. And so that, that council, that committee, is completely dominated by the far left progressives. If you wanted to start some sort of revolution inside of the Democratic Party, you'd have to go after the committee before you even got to the board where the real power is. That's sort of like the in the weeds political strat conversation. And by the way, people have tried, I mean, so like the Yimby people have tried to get on the on the committee um, and they fail, just completely fail. They've, I think they lose like every election they run for really. Right. So you have this situation where you have actually quite a, a fairly entrenched political class in there with sort of multiple layers of, of entrenchment. And it's it's quite difficult for, for any outsider to, to penetrate that superstructure. I guess these are sort of some of the open questions is how do you actually get through that? Do, I don't know if you have thoughts immediately or if that's the sort of thing that you're kind of figuring out over the next two years. Well, I mean, up until a couple of weeks ago, I was pretty optimistic. I really believed that people just you know, if you just laid out the truth before them and said, hey, like, 
here are the people who are in charge. Here's what they've done. Here's what we would like to do. You should vote for us. I thought that, you know, things are bad enough in the city that, of course, people would just choose someone to run who's or, or, or for the board who's, who's better or whatever. Uh, but then I looked at the uh, voter turnout that came. I, it was like three weeks ago, I think. I think it, uh, the voter turnout came out in San Francisco. And we're, we're close to 90% voter turnout, which means that close to 90% of registered voters in the city, not only did they vote, but they voted for the worst people possible. They voted for the incumbents who were responsible for this like historical crisis in San Francisco, a crisis of homelessness, a crisis of drug abuse, a crisis of crime, burglary skyrocketing, breaking people breaking in, into people's homes while they're in the house asleep. There's a crisis of is it a public transit crisis. There's an education crisis. It's like literally like a cascading series of crises. And the voters voted for this. They chose this. This is this is like the interesting question, right? Is well, there's two interesting questions here. One is okay, that's the registered voters. Could you get other people to register to vote? Are there enough other people who kind of disagree with the thing and are alienated so much that they're just not voting right now that if mobilized, they could register and, and become an interesting block? The other question is, let, let's, let's talk about the elephant in the room, which is, I don't know, the incumbent voter in San Francisco and, and why they support what's going on. They're, they're perceiving themselves as being involved in some kind of political struggle against, I don't know, like against tech, for example. Like, I, I think I've heard this sentiment that from from sort of native San Francisco people that, you know, good riddance, tech is leaving. We actually didn't want them here. And, and perhaps the reason that they're supporting some of these measures and some of this type of governance that we're getting is because they're not badly enough affected to overcome what they perceive to be kind of a, a political advantage of, of making it difficult for for their political enemies, for for tech or something. I think that the media, which hates the tech industry professionally, it's like how they make their money, has been telling a pretty horrific story about tech for many years that has contributed to the Board of Supervisors' sort of concurrent story. It's sort of dovetailed with that. There, there are not that many people in tech in the city. It's a minority within a minority within a minority. There's a reason that it's not a powerful voting block. But yes, they are. The industry has complete, been completely scapegoated by local politicians for their own systemic policy failures that have led directly to our housing. All of the crises I mentioned before are literally just policy. They're, they're, they're policy decisions. There's actual policy that has been crafted to lead us to this point. And tech is a very easy scapegoat because there aren't that many of us. I'm sure there are lots of locals who do believe that all of their problems are are because of tech, even though all the small businesses, the average small business person you talk to is very aware of the fact that the influx of tech money into the city has been great for them. And without it, business is going to be hard. What people also fail to realize is that our city budget has doubled in the last 10 years because of tech specifically. And without tech money in the city, we're going to see a disaster. I mean, we already are failing at transportation, education, um, housing, sanitation, things like this. All of this becomes worse when you have less money to fund these programs. And these are basic. We're talking about basic city governance right now. We're not even talking about like exciting utopian projects for whatever that. <laughs> right, it's right. Like, let's, let's just get the buses running, man. Yeah. So like the average person doesn't really think much about any of that. They have just bought, I think, the propaganda and that's that. Yeah. Right. Okay. So then any campaign to actually fix this would involve basically actually having to reach these people with sort of an alternate story that is hopefully more accurate and, and more constructive. I think it's very simple. You have to explain to people 
specifically who in the city has passed the legislation that has made their lives worse and provide them with an alternative to that person. That's it. Like the, the average person in San Francisco doesn't even know we have a board of supervisors, let alone who their supervisor is. That is just, that is the facts. So that suggests that you're not competing so hard on like having to, you know, go toe to toe with, with some alternate narrative that's quite entrenched. Rather, you just have to actually get people to pay attention and get them to pay attention to the right things. I guess you have to figure out, you have to articulate and, you know, through various media projects and networking projects and political projects, you have to articulate who are these people? What have they done? How did they get to the place that it is? Yes. My hope is that, so what we were talking about voter turnout before, it was Mm -hmm. a a little bit under 500,000 people voted in the last election. However, uh, there was a candidate that I was supporting for BART director, David Young. In that race, he lost the race by a lot, mm-hmm. uh, but the race only had like 100,000 votes, a little over that. So I think a lot of people don't vote at all for things that they don't understand, which means there's a lot of room potentially to get people on board for things for, for things like that in the future. If you could just be like, hey, you know, the average person looks at the ballot. I used to do this myself. I would get to like the board of ed and I would be like, I don't know who any of these people are. I don't care. I'm going to leave it blank. If you could just get a, get get to them ahead of that voting moment and be like, hey, here are these people who are running. Here are what their values are. I think that you should really vote for this person. That would be, I think a lot of people would vote for, for sanity at that point. So, yeah. I mean, let, let's try to get into the substance of this. Like, what are the specific policy failures? What, like, specific laws that have been passed? And then there's who exactly are the people? Yeah. And then questions like, okay, well, how do you actually kind of build up this sort of information logistics. Like when you're talking about communicating to 100,000 people about who they should vote for, you know, that's not a trivial problem, right? You need to, you need to actually reach those people. And that, that's, not, that's not necessarily easy. So feel free to bite on sort of any of those questions, but let's, let's get into some of the sort of practical substance. I mean, I think the, the problem of all problems in San Francisco is a lack of affordable housing. And um, that comes down to supply and demand. We need more supply. And it's like a very simple, simple, simple problem that many people for many different reasons stand against. Some people don't want giant high rises in their backyard. Some people don't want low income housing in their backyard. Some people don't want any more quote tech assholes in their backyard. All of them agree that housing is too expensive. None of them want the solutions to that. From that problem, when, when you don't have affordable housing, first of all, everybody is more miserable, but then everything is more expensive. The cost of housing goes up. And then, and then also there are less, you, have a, a, you don't have as many people here who'd be contributing to the tax base, which would give us things like really great public transit, really great public education, um, tons of money in the city budget. Like All of those things are improved by density. I think that there are ways to go about creating a more dense city that's not just high rises and it's not this like shitty environment. Like you could, you could model it more after Paris than, than for example, New York, Paris, it's like most, you know, most buildings in San Francisco are somewhere between like three and four stories high. Um, Why not six or seven? The exact same looking buildings, just lift them up. The exact same things. They could look the same. We could have Victorian looking buildings. They just have to be a little bit higher. If you could lift, you know, the entire city up another three stories, that would be a huge, huge, huge deal. Things would be just as beautiful, um, and you'd have a lot more space. And uh, and I, and I think it's like that kind of a thing is important. But then 
you need very, very sort of common sense things in San Francisco. You need people who are willing to fight for things like shelter. So we need we we need to not be trying to build a one bedroom apartment for free for every single homeless person who moves here. We need we what we need is emergency shelter to get everybody who's on the streets right now off of the streets, right? Like right now we have most homeless people on a wait list for a one bedroom apartment and it's like yeah, in a city where we can't even build them, that's a wait list that's going to last forever. So it's yeah, it's like we need, we need we need a pro growth strategy. We need people who are willing to allow building to go up that is just like comes down to uh getting rid of the there's a review process where right now if you want to renovate your house you go to community review which is this insane corrupt system where like your neighbors basically hold you hostage and can even extort you be like you know give me ten thousand dollars or i won't i won't let this process move forward all sorts of anecdotes like this but effectively i mean just between the review process uh, between all of the weird mandates for uh, affordable housing in each new unit, it, it's like we've just made it impossible to build new structures or to lift old structures up. And so we have to get rid of all of that, allow growth, and then also empower people to solve the homeless problem by uh, letting people build just shelter rather than one better apartments so we can get people off the streets and, and into beds. Right, right. So, okay, so you need you need basically to clear away a bunch of the obstacles to to building I mean, one of those things you mentioned, like the architectural problem, the, the problem of, of sort of beauty and so on. A lot of the time there's there's just sort of like coded other complaints when people are talking about eyesores and, and like they don't like the architecture or whatever. But I think that also is a real thing. There's there's a reason people like the, the Victorian architecture, the stuff that's kind of 100 years old. It was it was made with a bit of attention to detail and craft and some eye to lasting uh, a long time and, and it tends to have some charm. And a lot of the modern architecture kind of doesn't meet that standard. It's it's these these sort of soulless boxes. I don't know whether we have the capacity to actually build nice houses anymore, just to the state of kind of like could could we even build more of that kind of housing today? I mean, you mentioned renovations to basically like add floors to some of the existing buildings. That seems like a neat idea. It also seems like it's probably more expensive than than just building new stuff, even in the same style. No, it's of course it's not impossible. It's just it's it's more expensive, but it's not more expensive than it currently is to build in San Francisco. So you could dramatically reduce the cost of building in San Francisco and make that much more cost effective than it currently is. Like it, it will be more cost effective, provided you're living in a city where it's legal to build. It will be more cost effective to build something beautiful than it will be than it uh, than it will be now to build anything, which is. Uh, close to prohibitive. So um, yes, it's like an impediment, but if that's what it takes to get people psychologically to the place where they're willing to accept housing, that's great. But it's like, I mentioned a lot of reasons that people, the, the, the aesthetic component is one of the components that people are, are, are worried about. There are many. And so it's like, you need broadly a culture of this. It needs to hit the entire city rather than just one neighborhood. And, uh, and you need people who are excited about growing. San Francisco, you're talking about these locals who hate techies. And it's like, well, that sounds to me like an anti-immigration platform. And it is. San Francisco is filled with some of the most nativist anti-immigration people I've ever met in my entire life. But that's 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 they're still a minority. I think most of San Francisco, they're, they're a loud minority, but they're a minority. I think most people in San Francisco just want a good place to live. They want public transportation and education. They want it to be clean. They don't want to have to worry about being burglar burglarized. Uh, they want to be able to afford to live here and raise a family here because they love it so much, as much as I do. I love it. Uh, and that is, I think, if someone would make that 
that case, I think that would be popular. It will be popular enough to win. Who knows? But you have to at least, I, I think it's like you have to at least try before you before you exit. So, so we're talking about basically a very focused platform here. Like, I, like I'm trying to piece together the picture of how does this actually happen, right? It's, you need basically some group of people to really make it their business to put out a very clear platform. Of here's what the city's problems are. Here's specifically what needs to be done. It's this, you know, we need to clear away the obstacles to building. These specific legislations have to go. These ones have to come in. And like, here are the people that need to go. Here are the people that need to come in. And you need to get that message out to most of the city. And so that's kind of the thing that needs to be built up is this kind of machine that's probably a professional machine uh, involving the many people's work full time over over a period of, you know, hopefully only a couple of years, but but perhaps longer. Yeah, you do. You need money. You need to raise money and you need to build the machine that can compete with what the far left has, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even even just on this one issue, right? It's like, basically, can you actually build a, a block, like a, a, a political block that's that's focused around these key issues? Right. Well, here you just pause because you don't know what to call them. And that's actually the biggest problem is that nobody even knows what this counter quote counter movement would even be. Is it Republicans? No, because that word is toxic in San Francisco. Is it even conservative though? Not really, because it's super literally progressive. We're talking about we're talking about growth and and being open to immigration and like lifting things up. We're talking about public infrastructure programs like transit and education. And yet it's like the left is completely opposed. So so what is this? Like what actually is this this thing? Nobody knows what to call it. That's the biggest problem. There's no answer to it right now, but it's an interesting question. Yeah. And so, so there's this other question of like, where would the money come from? I mean, tech, tech is sort of this obvious candidate. There's theoretically a lot of money within the tech industry. There's a lot of people who have made out quite well on, on you know, having sold a startup or, or made some good investments in tech or just having had a sort of high salary for a number of years. So theoretically, there, there is a lot of money around. The question, of course, is how to mobilize that money how to get people actually interested in in going in on something here. That won't be hard. Money is not the problem at all. It's the easiest part. Every, there are plenty of people who don't want to worry about this at all. They just want to write a check and have someone else deal with it. I mean, I get hit up by people all the time asking me to do something and wanting to give me money. That is nothing. The hard thing is I don't know that the people in this city actually want to solve these problems based on the way they've been voting. And that's the open question. And if they do, that's great. There's hope. If not, I don't even know. But even if there's hope then, so like problem one, do we have the voters for it? Don't know. Problem two, who's going to run? There are not enough candidates um, who, who speak about the issues like this. And then problem three is winning the election. And then problem four is like winning the election isn't even enough. Even if you swept the next election, it's not enough. You need to win at least, you don't necessarily need to take out Mayor Breed because she is a pretty reasonable person if she had a powerful enough board who was sort of in alignment with her, I think maybe some problems could be solved. But like 2022, you could sweep it and still not have enough power. 2023 is the mayor's election. Uh, let's say, you know, theoretically or hypothetically, you had that. Great. Um, and then 2024 is that's the next election. So we're, we're actually talking like before you could conceivably really do anything, you would have to win every single seat that's open for four years before you could even begin to to affect any kind of change. That's the kind of 
um, intractable looking problem that we're up against. So what do you think? Is it intractable or or is this the kind of thing that, that can actually be done? I mean, I think it'll be intractable as long as people refuse to even try. There is a There's a way in which maybe you just start building the machine now and then 10 years from now, you have enough money and people in place that you're able to start making some change. The, the miracle version is by 2024, but I don't know, maybe if you take it step-by-step step, 10 years out, things are, things are a little bit different. It's just that the average person in my world is not looking to wait here for 10 years while you know they're, they're attacked and berated by the city government. I mean, the city just condemned Mark Zuckerberg publicly for donating $75 million to a hospital. Really, you think I was making this up? I'm not making it up. That's That's where we're at right now. It's really hard to live in a place where you are contributing so much in terms of dollars to the government and they treat you like that. Not to mention, it's just like, it's literally not safe really to be here anymore. Uh, About as many people have been burglarized, I think as have been infected by COVID in the city of San Francisco. That's pretty intense. Yeah. Yes. That's, 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 yeah, that's total cases of, of COVID infection as compared to number of households in the city that have been burglarized. It's something like 1.8% to 2%. So it's a, a little bit less burglary, but it's comparable. Right. I mean, I certainly know more people who have been robbed than, than have gotten COVID. Oh, yeah. Same. Yeah. I mean, if you expand it to car break-ins, forget about it. Way more people. Um, but I'm just talking about in-home Yeah. How, right. Just home burglary. Okay. So, so we're talking about kind of this longer term process, building up this machine that can possibly put in an actually pro-growth vision of governance. I mean, obviously, we need something to call it, right? But I'll call it pro-growth for now. And and so then that, that comes to this question of like, well, okay, who's going to do it, right? It, suppose you get a, a check for, for sort of $10 million for the core staff to just kind of work on this for the next five years. Who's that going to be? And, and what do they do? So first of all, I don't think it's, the, I don't think it's pro-growth. I think growth is a strategy for doing what we want. What we want are candidates who are um, action-oriented and problem-solving. So like, are goal-oriented and problem-solving. So what I think we need that we don't have right now are candidates who look at the city and say, are first of all, will it, uh, not willing, but, but able to acknowledge, okay, transit is a crisis. Uh, these homeless people outside, that's a crisis. Uh, people shitting themselves in the street, crisis. The death by drug overdose is now epidemic levels. That's a crisis. And so you have to be able to look at that and say, okay, well, the goal is ubiquitous, inexpensive transit. It is great public education, that is like maybe the best in the country. It is nobody sleeping outside. Everybody has shelter. So they're able to look at a problem, acknowledge that it's a problem, say, okay, the goal is this thing, this like solution, then work backwards from that and actually put the plan in place. So it's it's like goal orientation, uh, efficiency-minded, action-oriented people in government is, is what we need. Growth is a way that we're able to do a lot of that. So with more people in the city, you have more money, you have more resources to address some of these problems. Uh, and I think that's how that's how I think about it. I don't think it's necessarily just like a pro-growth thing. Uh, and I, I also think that like a lot of people don't want the city to grow, so that's going to scare them away. And everyone in the city wants it, I, I think, to work. Yeah, everyone wants good governance. Okay, so I, I mean, again, the issue, issue of what to call it aside, I, like let's suppose you had the budget, right? A, a fat budget. I don't know. I, I threw out the number $10 million. I don't know if that's too high, too low or what. But suppose you had a fat budget to and a mandate to sort of work on this for the next five years. Who are the people you hire? What are the things you do? You've, you've mentioned you don't have candidates. 
who, who represent anything like this. Well, what, what would that look like? What does the strategy look like getting towards having those candidates? Do you have to go and find people who already exist and already have kind of a name for themselves in the city? No. So the very first thing that I'm doing, and I'm already working on this, I'm going to raise some money. And after I raise money, what I want to do is before I even find the candidates, I want to, we don't have really a lot of great information on what people believe in the city of San Francisco. There's not a lot of great polling data. Like I would love really extensive, robust polling on what people want, what they are mad about, what they are excited about, why they're voting for incumbents, like how they think about different words even. Like are are they Democrats? Does, do they, does that resonate with them or is there just nothing else? Like I would like to know what they prioritize in terms of in terms of the crises, like which ones are the most crazy to them. And I think from there, we'll have a better sense of, of where to move forward. Every, all we have right now are like anecdotes, some shoddy data and like rhetoric that candidates run on. It's really, there's not been a lot of, of research done here. Right. So you have this, the, the first order of business then is sort of this extensive kind of intelligence ground game of, of going out, actually talking to people. You know, it's, it's like the old Paul Graham thing, right? Actually go out and talk to customers. The, the customer in this case is the people who live in the city. Just find out what they want, right? Get, get good data on it. Talk to them. So you probably want a combination of in-depth case studies of particular people where you're really getting into with them on a, on a sort of exploratory level and then wider kind of data collection that tries to capture tries to kind of generalize that, I guess. And and yeah, that can give you a really good picture of what the voting base might actually be, who actually is there, and and would they go for this kind of good governance platform. And and this again, like this is this is kind of the key issue that you've brought up a couple of times, which is does it have the voters? Are there the people who are actually going to go for this thing? All that needs there's only the the highest level problem is that people aren't engaged locally. They don't even know who they're so I think the very first thing that for everyone to do is go and find out who their supervisor is. Go and find out the your if you don't know your supervisor's name, then you are part of the problem. I love you whoever you are who's listening who doesn't know, but you are part of the problem. And I would say uh not a small part, like a, a quite enormous part of the problem. Go find out who your supervisor is and and then go go look at the way they've been voting and I guarantee you it's been horribly I guarantee you it's it's out of alignment with your values, then you need to start telling them that. You need to start tweeting at them, you need to start calling their office. Uh you need to find people in your in your neighborhood. You need to get them involved and we have to just raise awareness about this, about who's in charge, what they're doing to our city, and then hopefully, you know, a year out when we have candidates, um there will be enough people sort of aware enough that that they'll have a chance of winning. Right. So we have this we have this problem of like building a culture of awareness at least of local politics and generally a culture of, of engagement with local problems. And this has been kind of, I think one of the reasons that tech hasn't done anything yet is I've gotten in this impression talking to tech people, there's often this approach on of, of building these very worldwide kind of scalable systems, looking at very, very big picture, not, not focusing on Kind of what's going on in your own backyard, and this has been kind of, I guess, a bias uh, or or maybe a productive heuristic of the tech industry. And as so what you're saying is actually, we need to kind of shift our attention a little bit more to where are we actually located, because this is this is like the problem of place has become very acute here, right? I think that saying, oh well, tech people are just more big picture than small picture, is even giving tech people too much credit. 
I think actually what's happening is there's lots of opportunity and it's exciting opportunity in tech and not a lot in the physical world. And San Francisco has been a mess forever, for decades. I, I would say it's gotten a lot worse over the last decade, but people who are moving here years ago knew that San Francisco had problems. They just never got involved. I think they looked around, they thought, this city is a train wreck. I'm not going to be here forever. And they clocked out. And 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 that is, I think that's wrong. I think that this is your this is your home when you live here and you should be involved. It doesn't help that so many people were like, you know, fuck techies, you shouldn't care about like leave, get out of here. No one cares what you think. I mean, all that, but you have to ignore it. You live here. You're paying taxes here. This is your home. And you do have to care. I think that um it sucks. Local politics is not sexy. It is time consuming. It is inefficient. There's actually, if you're a young person in tech, it's really hard to make the case that you should be giving up your career to go and work in politics. I don't even know that I believe that you should, but at the very least, what you should do is you should know who is in charge and you should be willing to volunteer some of your time to help better candidates win. That's something that you can do without sacrificing everything that you have in tech. There's sort of two approaches to living in a city, right? One approach is you kind of treat it like a hotel. You, you know, you you show up, you're checking out completely of the governance matters. It's someone else's problem. It's someone else's thing. You just live here. And the other approach is is you see it like you're actually joining some kind of collective body at when when you move to the city or you you know choose to take this form of engagement. You're saying I am actually a member of this place. I should get excited about the collective identity of the place. I should get excited about how we're organized internally as as a bunch of people working together on on the problem of you know building a great city and and that's just this there's there's this mindset shift i guess from one of the from sort of the hotel mindset to the i am a member of of this city and and that's i think what you're talking about here and i've i've definitely seen like i i think there is something really exciting about being a member of of a city especially when there's good things happening in government and you can feel excited about the initiatives that the city is putting on or excited about the the campaigns you're kind of putting together to uh, fix the city and improve the city but i think it has to be kind of tractable right you have to feel like okay there's something here that i can believe in and there's something that i can put effort into that will actually make the place better and so i guess part of making that mindset shift is just switching is making that case that there is something exciting to work on together as as members of the city and and something tractable. I mean, you, so you've you've kind of focused in on the on the housing issue, the homelessness issue, the transit issues. So there's a bunch of these. Really, these boil down to kind of there's this there's this political problem. So I guess a lot of the narrative going into this would have to be you're getting people excited about this idea of contributing to governance and that something can actually come out of that. It's not just this black hole. Yeah. And I think it's not just a local problem. I think that across the entire country, local politics is almost the only thing that matters. Like the presidential election, I was so not interested. No matter who won that election, I don't care how mad people are about the existence of Donald Trump. He is not making my life in San Francisco any different. The people responsible for for the mis the human misery metastasized on the streets outside, there are 11 people responsible for that. And they live here in a seven by seven mile radius of, of where I'm currently standing. And that is, the, that is the same story in every city I've been to this year. And I've driven across the country. So I've, and I've stayed in a lot of different places all over the, all over the country. Every city is doing 
is doing poorly. San Francisco has just had the most to lose. Like we we did the least with the most. Um, you know, we did the most damage with the most resources. But everybody is suffering, and I think everybody is suffering because they're is just broadly this endemic nihilism of American people. This idea that it doesn't matter who's in charge, of, certainly at the local government level. And I, I, think it, I think it hits everything to a certain extent, but it's really bad in local politics. And so high level, no matter who you are, no matter where you live, you, it's so important that you care about local politics and engage actively and get your friends to care and your family to care. And then specifically in San Francisco, yeah, that's what I'm throwing myself into this year. And, uh, uh, and, and with the the push for goal orientation and action orientation. I mean, it's almost a learned helplessness or I, maybe it's just an ignorance. I'm not I'm like, what, where does that come from? Why are people ignorant of and, and uncaring about, about the local politics? I mean, one, one idea could be that it's just, you know, the national media has, has become increasingly um, conglomerated in a few companies that are mostly focused on national politics in insofar as they're making all these narratives and so everyone's attention is kind of focused on the national and focused away from the local you know there just hasn't been anyone sort of broadly in the in in our generation or in the younger generations actively engaging people in the the local political scenes like there there's there haven't been the efforts to kind of mobilize people into those things and that's that's one story. And, and then that means that it's kind of like, it just feels intractable. It feels like, oh yeah, I guess there's someone who runs the city, but I don't know anything about that. I don't know how to get into that. I, you know, I couldn't affect it if I wanted to. So I'm just going to check out. It's, it's learned helplessness, right? So these are sort of two ideas that I have for like where this came from. But what do you think is going on? Why are people becoming apathetic about their local politics? I think a lot of it has to do and, and you mentioned this, I think a lot of it has to do with media, but specifically the mediums that we use. So television is like a powerful centralizing technology, and it puts a focus on a few people. And I think that as Americans under the age of television, uh, the whole concept of local politics really eroded. And before that, when you had like competing local newspapers, you know, five newspapers in a city, there was a lot more going on to, to focus on. I, I'm a little bit hopeful that like, you know, the internet has been a disaster in so many ways for what it's done to us culturally. I think it's been amazing. You know, it's it's the gift of knowledge. It's free knowledge. It's ubiquitous. We can share. We can collaborate. That's all great. But also it is it is, it is made for a much more chaotic information landscape that is highly fragmented. But within that fragmentation, I wonder if maybe because of that, um, there is a path back to local politics where, where people can focus again at the local level. But I don't know. Um, people place a lot of emphasis right now on, for example, influencers, social media influencers, and they're not influencing locally. They're influencing globally. So it could be even worse, potentially. It could be even less of a focus on uh, maybe people stop caring even about their own senators. <laughs> I mean, we already are sort of in that world where all anyone cares about is the president. I wonder if most people in America can even name their representative in Congress. I, I really don't know that they could. So... I don't know exactly what caused it. I think the media maybe. All I know is that it's like literally the only thing that matters in government to, to me, as far as I can see. Um, and I want to do everything I can to get people as excited about local politics as I am right now. Excited is maybe not quite the right word. It's like um, enthusiastic. I, I feel like there's a gun to my head. And, and this is a really important problem and we need to, to solve it. Uh, yeah, so I, I, have to, I do have to jet, but... Um, this has been awesome. Thank you.
Yeah, great. Uh, it was great to have you on briefly. But yeah, I think this is a super important issue. We'll, we'll certainly be looking into it, try to understand this stuff. Um, it was great talking to you, Mike.